Hey podcast and welcome back to another episode. I'm really sorry for the huge, huge delay. It's been too long since I've posted an episode on here, so I can only apologise. It's um, It's been a bit of a few mix of things really. Now as you know, I'm not up for excuses, <laughs> so none of these are excuses. I should have put an episode out before now and found the time. Um, but me and Sophie went away to Dubai for, I think for a week did we go for? So that knocked out about 10 days. Now I took my laptop away, but didn't end up doing an episode while I was away. So for that, I'm sorry, but um, I think Sophie appreciated my time. And then it's been mega, mega busy since we've got back. I've got a few various things going on. Um, one thing we're going to tell you about in a moment, but then Sophie's been sick. She's been off work for a while because she's been at home um, throwing up everything. So I've been looking after her uh, and I've got a cousin who's got like a, um, she's 31, she's got a Down syndrome type illness um, and she's in hospital at the moment, she's having a brain operation so she's uh, she's been in intensive care, she's been on and off and she's really not well so it's um, been driving, oh, I've had to drive over to see her so it's been a few things going on, um, none of which are excuses because... I think you have to find the time for to make you have to make time for the important things and the podcast is high on my priority list but I've ended up prioritizing everything else and let this slip. So no excuses for that. I am sorry. Um, but I'm back on it from this week. I promise there's going to be an episode every week and then we'll keep it on going from there. So thanks for tuning back into this. And for the delay, I do honestly apologize. I've been like meaning to get another episode out, but then work's taking over and obviously I've had a few family things going on. Um, so yeah, I'm back today. The, the other thing that I've been working on though, which I'm going to announce to you today before I tell anybody else, because nobody knows this except my family, uh, a few of my close friends. So you may remember, uh, if you've been following me for a while anyway, a couple of years ago, uh, August, so what will it be? One year, nine months ago, something like that, my granddad died because he had dementia. Uh, it was a bit of a horrible road. It was, uh, you know, 12 months of him. Well, it was probably two or three years of him going downhill. But when he got really bad, it was about nine months of him going really bad and going from being a really, really intelligent man to to not really being able to recognize his family really and to completely losing his memory, like not recognizing everybody, could barely sing a nursery rhyme. So it was a horrible thing to see. Uh, when he died, obviously it was a horrendous kind of thing to have happened. I've talked about it on the podcast quite a bit actually, which is strange. It shows that it lingers around in the back of my mind more than you think. Um, but I kind of vowed at the time to do something positive out of it because he was one of the people that really got me into the outdoors. I remember as a child, I used to live in Bury. if you're in the UK, you'll know where that is. Um, I used to go over there, he lived next to a woods and we used to go playing in the woods from a young age. He used to be really into bird watching, so he'd teach me all about that. And then there was many times he took us out in the hills and he just really got me into the outdoors and got me loving it. And off the back of that, as I grew up and got into mountain biking, it was kind of one of the reasons that MTB Fitness exists today. So I always wanted to do something to do something in his memory, but do something positive that'll help a lot of people. So me and my best mate, Ozzy, who you might remember as the guy that ended up in the air ambulance, <laughs> whenever I bring up his name, that has to get mentioned, have decided we're going to do a massive um, massive challenge or a massive personal challenge for charity. So in the middle of July, me and Ozzy are going to be doing a 24-hour mountain bike ride. So we're doing it around Duffstones, which is a reservoir close to us. I think the date is the 12th of July that we're going to be doing it, but I'll have to check. And we're going to ride pretty much non-stop for 24 hours. Um, now, I know people do 24-hour solo races. Um, to those people, it ain't that big a challenge. It's just what they do. Now, the biggest ride that me and Ozzy have ever done is probably, I don't know, seven, eight hours, something like that. I think the biggest ride I've ever done was in the Alps when I had a full day of riding, about eight hours, 6,000 feet of climbing. Like That was an epic day. So we're going from six, seven, eight hours of riding. Our typical rides are about four hours to doing 24 hours. Um, it's a massive, massive challenge, but I wanted to pick something that, quite frankly, intimidated me, intimidated um, intimidated Ozzy, and something that I thought my granddad would be proud of us for... Um, proud of us for for finishing really and for raising a ton of money so you're the first ones to hear about this if you're listening to this podcast before wednesday the what will it be let me work this out fourth fifth sixth about wednesday the seventh i'm going to announce it whenever around that wednesday seventh of may so if you're listening to this before this uh, before then i haven't posted about it anyway so you're one of the first ones to know and um, so i've been built the, the reason i tell you all this is one so at least the benefit for you waiting to this podcast you've got some sort of news that i've not told anybody else and the second side of it is that that's part of what i've been working on 
obviously it's something that's really really close to my heart and when i do things i don't want to piss around with them i want to like really really commit which is why we're doing a 24 hour ride with a maximum of 15 minute rests and and i've also created a full website off the back of it so that's where the, you're going to be able to go to there to donate so you can't go on it yet so i'm not going to tell you the url just yet because it's not live however when it is live um i'll let you know what the website link is on here and it'll be all over social media and it would really really mean a ton to me and a ton to my family, to be honest, and a ton to Ozzy and Ozzy's family. He's got his own personal story as well, which is on there about why he wants to do it. If you could donate, listen, even a pound, like it really does mean a lot that you've taken the time to do it and you've gone into your wallet. Um, so if you enjoy this podcast, if you want to help me and the millions of other people who suffer from dementia or Alzheimer's, and then when that link goes up, I really appreciate if you donate. So to summarize all that, we're going to be doing a 24-hour mountain bike ride, me and Ozzy together. We're doing it together as in riding next to each other. We're not doing a relay, so there'll be no sleep. There'll be just a maximum of 15-minute stops. And we plan to ride. I think it'll be about 150 miles when we keep riding around, 200 miles, something like that. So it is honestly going to be a really tough challenge, but... I think the reasons that we're doing it is going to push us. Um, and the other side, the other one of the other small reasons for, for, well, quite a big reason really, one of the other reasons for wanting to do this is because you'll know I'm really keen to talk about fitness and motivation and mindset and I'm a massive believer and I use it in my life. I use it with, my, with you guys and girls and I use it when I'm on the bike. But I think doing a 24-hour challenge that is way outside of my comfort zone and way outside of my fitness levels or way outside of what I've currently done, I think it when I'm telling you that it's about mindset, the fact that I'll have done a 24-hour ride will ring even more true. I think it would just add even more credibility to to what I'm saying. So yeah, that's part of why, because the time that I would have been doing a podcast, I've been spent building that website. So while you've not been able to listen to this, I've been building that website that's going to raise hopefully thousands of thousands of pounds. The initial target is £10,000, but with the audience that we've got through MTB Fitness and the amount of shared graph that we're going to be putting in, I'm hoping we can smash through that. So when it goes live on Facebook, on Instagram, and in my daily emails, and to sign up to my daily emails, if you're not already, just go to mtb.fitness, www.mtb.fitness, and then click the menu, click daily emails, and you can sign up to them there. Every day, Monday to Friday, I send out a free email. I will be sharing the link in there. So like I say, it would really mean a lot if you donated. And so yeah, now that's out of the way. On to the next episode, or on to this, uh, this episode of the podcast. So today I'm speaking to a guy called Jamie Ironmonger. Now he's a fascinating dude. He's actually currently in Everest. And by that I mean right now he's trying to scale Everest. So he was in the armed police and he ended up getting post-traumatic stress disorder through a few various diff- different things that we talk about in the podcast. And off the back of that, he's gone on to do amazing things. And like I say, right now he's currently scaling Everest to raise money for charity. So what I'm going to do at the end of this podcast, he'll tell you all about it in the podcast and we talk about it for the next 50 minutes. But at the end of the podcast, I'm going to put the link to donate to his charity. It's all about charity today. (laughs) I'm going to put a link to donate to it if you feel sort of driven by his cause. Um, And yeah, I really would appreciate it if you, you donated to his. And yeah, enjoy the podcast. We talk so much about it. So I hope you love it. Oh, one thing before I start. As you can tell, this intro isn't scripted. just like talking. <laughs> um, Jamie, about midway through, he had a horrific accident on the mountain bike. And I mean horrific. It's awful. So listen to that part. Um, you'll grimace it's horrendous and we have a bit of a laugh about it but it was something very serious for jamie like he really added to his post-traumatic stress disorder so while we did laugh about it i think it's important not to play down the severity of the situation um but yeah there'll be uh, i've got some photos of the accident which i'll be putting on social media at some point over the next week so look out for those as well um but yeah overall i hope you really really enjoy the podcast thanks for listening to me ranting on sorry again that it's been such a big delay since the last episode um but yeah onwards and upwards there'll be an episode every week now i promise right into the episode Hey 
Hey podcast, so I've got something a little different for you today. Jamie Iamonga's mission is to get the word out about mental health awareness, particularly in the emergency services. Like us, he's a fellow mountain biker. Now, Jamie used to be an armed police officer. His personal stresses were brought on by work-related stress, a broken marriage, losing friends and colleagues to suicide, and the after effects of a freak accident, which he's told me involves a bike and he's going to tell me about on the podcast. I don't know what it is yet. <laughs> uh, the drip, drip, drip of mental stress eventually culminated him in him stepping down from the arm response and joining the MOD police. I'm sure he'll tell me whether that's right or wrong. Uh, a decision partly due to the fact that he was overwhelmed with the stigmatism that speaking up about his mental state, the stresses and worries that everything brought could have had. Jamie's now raising money for Mind Charity and in two weeks time will be attempting to reach the summit of Everest, the highest point in the world and an achievement only around 4,000 people in the world have ever achieved since Sir Edmund Hillary did it for the first time in 1953. The highest point is 8,848 metres, which is the cruising altitude of a passenger jet. And when you go above 8,000 metres, that's actually the death zone, which I'm sure you'll be able to tell us more about today. Um, he's claimed, Everest has claimed the lives of 293 people attempting to summit it since 1953, which is an average of four a year, so it's a four a year, sorry, which is a massive goal. And as of today, for, Char for Mind Charity, he's raised £5,721. So hopefully from this podcast, we can help get that number up so jamie thanks a lot for coming on no problems matt thank you very much for taking the time to speak to me it's great nice good it's going to be an interesting conversation yeah um i think it'd be great to start at the beginning really so wh why did you want to become you started obviously as a police officer didn't you and then ended I up did, transferring yeah. over to the armed police did, did you always want to become a, a police officer um no i didn't it's um i wanted to join the air force actually but um that all went um a bit pear-shaped for me so I was kind of left thinking what am I going to do now and my dad um, has been a police officer for many years he's always telling me what a great career it was and I thought there's no way I want to be a police officer it's not for me but um had a few rubbish jobs and thought you know what let's give it a crack so I didn't tell him and uh, put the application in and and that was it I only told him once I was in that I'd become a police officer so that's where right. it all started <laughs> and then how long after you were in the police did you end up transferring over to the armed police um, so I, I did um, a lot of different roles um, within the police. So started off obviously due two years probation and that was in the city of Portsmouth. Um, and then within that, I was doing a 999 emergency response calls, had a few years as a local beat officer doing community work in an area known as Pools Grove, which is quite a dense um, sort of council estate area with lots of problems. Um, so I had a good run of about eight years of doing all sorts of different types of general police work. And then I thought, you know what, I want to do more. Let's have a look at armed response. I used to see the guys going around, all the training, all the kit they used to have. And I thought, I'm ready for it. Let's let's step forward and, and see what see if I can do it. And I did it. And here we are. Yeah. Is it quite a, a tough process to get in? I know the, the physical requirements are quite a bit higher, aren't they? And I can imagine there's a lot of uh, mental tests and that kind of thing that goes into yeah, it. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, so they kind of generally look for your general policing skills first. You've got to be a good all-round cop first, you know, that you can make the right decisions. You've dealt with confrontation in the past. You can handle yourself. You're not like a quick-to-snap kind of person, quite laid back. Um when I applied for it, it's a massive um, paper sift application process you go through where lots of recommendations get signed up. They look at all your career history. And once you get the big rubber stamp from the bosses of the area you work, then all your paperwork goes through to the firearms department. They then look at it all. And there's lots and lots of police officers out there that all want to be firearms officers. So it's quite a rigorous paper sifting. They'll then choose the ones that they want and then you'll go forward to what's called the assessment day which is a, an assessment period where they'll they'll put you through lots of different um policing scenarios to see how you cope and they'll judge you they'll stand around with clipboards and they assess how you are and at that point if you're successful on that assessment day then you go through to the um, initial firearms course which was eight weeks of sheer hell <laughs> why in what way um so it's kind of day one they give you when i first joined we were using the heckler and cock mp5 and the sig um handgun so week one is literally here's an mp5 we're going to teach you how to shoot that oh, so wow. within that week you're 
literally handed over a life firearm. Um, so we had an indoor firearms range and they basically teach you how to shoot the MP5. And as long as you manage to kind of throughout that week, manage to get to grips with how the weapon works, you're hitting the target, you're safe. Then the next week you go onto handgun. You've got a week to learn the handgun. And then the week after that, it's how to use a baton launcher, which is um, a less than lethal firearm, which shoots a big rubber bullet, really. Okay. A, we- a week of that then taser and once you manage to pass all of that there's people that are dropping by the wayside all the time so the course is gradually getting less and less and less as people are are phased out not hitting the target doing silly things with a firearm and then once you've done all that and you've passed all your weapon handling then they look at tactics and how to utilize all of the skills that you've learned with your general policing to um, deal with situations involving firearms sounds like a tough process then it is very tough and it doesn't stop even when, you know, you reach the end of the course and you're, you know, they say congratulations, you get the handshake, you get the checkered police firearms baseball cap. It's not over. It's constant, constant assessment, constant training, constant upgrading on all your skills, um, all the weapon systems since um, the MP5 have all been upgraded to high velocity weapons with armor defeating rounds so it's always a process you're always learning new things and you've got to keep on top of your game all the time yeah for sure it sounds like it so um was it it's kind of every every young boy's definitely dream to get their hands on a gun and like you know be shooting and whatnot i know when i was a kid i used to love playing xbox games and whatnot and you'd always dream of that kind of thing is it when when you started the training was it as as good as you'd expected or was it this sort of experience you're expecting or is it different well yeah absolutely it's kind of it was always my dream we will watch bad boys on the telly it's like that's it. <laughs> kind of eight eight years of doing boring police stuff, going to domestics, going to shoplifters, to turn up at day one on your firearms course, and they basically lift, <laughs> open up the lid of this box and hand you an MP5. You're like, wow, this is cool. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, as everyone just sat there with a gun on their lap, just looking at it, and yeah, it's pretty cool. I won't lie, it is cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can imagine. So obviously the vast majority of people listening to this will never have the opportunity to turn up to a situation with a gun in hand and have to make the split decisions. So try and describe to us civilians what it's like to turn up and you don't know if the other person's got a knife or a gun or or what's going to happen. Like, what What's it like being on, on your end? So on, on our end, I mean, we, I was on... The, called the ARV, so we're the Armed Response Vehicles, and our job was to provide a spontaneous response to any firearms incident that came in across the whole of the county. So there's not many of us. Generally, there'd be like three cars out on patrol in the county, and should a firearms incident come in, we would get a radio call to go to a specialist firearms briefing channel where the bosses would say, right, we've got an incident going on, whatever it was, it's involving a knife, it's involving someone with mental health problems who's got a shotgun, wants to self-harm, whatever it is, they go through a briefing and then it's time to switch on, listen to the information. And at that point, you'll be heading to a location in the car, you know, if you're up the motorway, you're doing 150 miles an hour on blue lights, trying to listen to all the information whilst you're going into the back of the car, opening up the mobile armory, getting the guns out, loading them, making them ready. So there's a lot going on um, before you even get to the incident. So you've got to be able to sort of cope with all of that because at the moment you arrive, with all the adrenaline of the drive, you've got to be at a point where you're ready to get out of the car and deal with whatever is in front of you. And that can change very quickly from the information you originally get. So it's quite intense in that respect. So how do you how do you manage that stress? I imagine a lot of the um, a lot of the lessons that you probably learn and being able to like obviously you got the adrenaline of flying down the motorway at 150 mile an hour with the lights on. That's got to get your adrenaline and everything sky high. How do you balance that with having the calmness and the, the sort of presence of mind to make good decisions and to not make any any snap judgments? Like, did did you have any processes that you did to to stay in the zone, I suppose, would be, would be the right term. I think a lot of it comes down to, like, in the beginning, it's your general experience as a police officer. I've already had many years of dealing with confrontation, of like driving around the city on blue lights. So it's kind of just, it's another level up. You know, we've got faster cars, better kit. You know, the jobs are a lot more serious. So it's kind of, it's just always going, you know, that step further. 
so it, it's um all the training you get it really does um come into play when you when you deal with a job and i used to say that when i used to go to firearms training they'd put you through a lot of these um scenarios a lot of the times when you end up dealing with a live job i'd come away and saying wow that was just like a training exercise we did so the level of training they put you through is right up there with real life and a lot of the times it just felt like an everyday training scenario oh, so, okay yeah. So just the fact that you practiced it so much meant that when it came to the real thing, it was it was almost normal. Pretty much, yeah. Sometimes boring. <laughs> <laughs> so if we kind of like, there's quite, in a different way, but there's quite a lot of parallels between, say, a mountain biker standing at the top of a really gnarly downhill track, which you'll know all about being a mountain biker. Yeah. And sort of the, because you've got, you've got with that, you've got to get a fine line between, having the adrenaline and the focus, but also staying calm so you don't do anything rash. So are there any kind of lessons that you learn from being on the police side of things, which is way more extreme to, to the mountain bike world? I think it's, I think a lot of it comes down to just um, focus. It's kind of, you know, I've been mountain biking since well, for years. So well into like the, the early nineties showing my age here a bit nice. <laughs> with like the people like Jason McCroy when I was at school, I was looking up to him. Yeah. So um, it's kind of with the firearms world, it, it's that it's what you're into. You try and do it to the best of your ability. And so I always um, do everything to the best of my ability that I possibly can. So mountain biking, it's, um, it's how I de-stress a lot of the times, but I'm always 100% focused when I ride my bike. Do you ever have moments where you've had a difficult day at work or at home and your mind's wandering and you struggle to focus? Do you ever have times like that, either at work or on the bike? Yeah, all the time. You know, it, It's that finding the time to kind of shut down when you've um, been wanging around in the police car you know, for a whole set of nights or whatever it is, when you actually come home you can't just switch off a lot of the time. A lot of what you've been to comes back and starts replaying because you don't have a chance to to deal with it and process it at the time. So it's when you're having your downtime, that's when things start coming back to you. And it's the same with mountain biking. If you're hacking down a big downhill, you're processing stuff so quickly. When you get to the bottom, you think, how did I get down there in one piece? Yeah. And then you kind of replay the route and you think, oh, I could have done that a little bit differently or nearly came off there probably need to calm it down on that berm or whatever it is it's kind of all the same kind of thing i totally understand i get it so it's about having that time outside of the job to just be able to sort of like relax almost and think everything through and process everything that's right exactly so we've obviously talked about the cool side of the job and the exciting most people listening to this will think it's pretty cool to fly down the motorway at 150 miles an hour with a gun in hand i know i know i certainly do <laughs> um, but obviously like the, one of the big reasons that you're doing this this fundraiser and you've had all the the bad times in your life if you like is is because of the stress side of it so can you talk a, a bit more about that and how it affected you and maybe if you want to talk about the traumatic incident that happened that obviously affected you or added to all that stress yeah, so um, I think, you know, if I talk sort of generally across all of the emergency services, it's kind of one of those jobs where, you know, people are calling us on the worst day of their lives. They want us to get there and help them. And so we're turning up to these jobs day in, day out. I mean, it's every day we're going to these um, situations. And after, a you know, a, a while, I mean, I had um, sort of I've been in the police over 16 years now dealing with all of these incidents and I can remember every single confrontational encounter I've had every single emotional incident I've had and even the traumatic horrific things that I've seen every single person in the emergency services is dealing with that all of the time that's their job so after many many years it can really take a toll on you and I began to feel that and by which point I was on armed response and you kind of think well it's beginning to get on top of me and in that environment where you're at the cutting edge you're armed to then say I'm struggling a bit it's very very difficult to kind of raise your hand amongst your colleagues and say I'm really really struggling a bit with stress I think my mental health's not quite up together um, and the fear of that being judged and possibly kind of losing the, your job as well it's it's a big deal and um, since I've kind of started this journey I've realized that 
um, that is a big issue across all of the emergency services that people aren't talking about it and a lot of people are taking drastic measures I've lost a colleague that I worked with um, committed suicide as a result of it um, a friend in my personal life has also committed suicide nothing to do with emergency services but it is a big problem and I've decided that with my Everest challenge that I want to try and raise awareness and stand up and say look it's okay to talk about these things. So how big of an impact do you think talking about it is? So obviously you've talked about you, your colleague and your friend there who, you know, ultimately that's the worst thing that, that can ever happen, isn't it? And that shows the absolute extreme. How big of an effect do you, you personally think that not talking about problems had on that? So, yeah, not talking about it. Um, if you bottle it up, I think that cracks will begin to appear. You know, for me, I... I bottled it up. I was unwilling to talk about it because of the fear of you know, what I've already discussed, being stigmatised, being judged, being branded, perhaps losing my job. So I kept it to myself. But things started to get worse. And, you know, I wasn't happy. I began to get quite negative about the job. You know, I love this job. I worked so hard to get there. And in the end, I just got to a point where I just felt I needed to get out. Um, so ultimately, I ended up um, leaving the job walked out of the um, firearms world, left the police force that I was working for uh, and left it all behind without so much as talking to to anybody. And it's only now when I look back, I wish I'd spoken to someone and said, look, I need a bit of help. Perhaps there was nothing really to be scared about and I would still be doing that job. But as it happens, I I didn't. I'm in a different job now, a different police force doing a, a different role. And it's kind of like now um, I want to talk about it and help other people because there's a lot of people out there that are in the same position. I bet the more and more you've gone through this journey now of starting to talk about it and bring awareness, I bet people all over are saying, oh, I do that, I do that, don't they? Yeah, I mean, um, when I first started the the Everest journey and uh, and trying to support MIND and the Blue Light programme to help the emergency services, I started up a little Facebook page called MIND Everest Expedition. And... You know, I started having a couple of followers here and there and I'd post bits about various things and, you know, to do sort of emergency services. And and now it's I get messages every day from um, police officers and paramedics and people in the fire service saying, you know, thank you for for bringing this to our attention. That's exactly how I feel. And right. a lot of people are telling me their stories and it, it, it's quite it's been quite emotional listening to it and you know I just hope that that people out there hear my story and what I'm trying to do perhaps will will seek some help yeah and you know yeah I think that I, I totally agree with you um I think that obviously a lot of the stuff you're doing is tailored towards people in the emergency services but it's a message to everyone else too because you see I can only speak from a guy's perspective really from this but people like the armed police you look up to them as the the elite and the the manliest of men and that side of things so when people like yourself start talking up about emotions it almost gives permission to the rest of you know groups of men to start talking about stuff as well because you're like well they're the tough guys and they need to talk about stuff more so I'm sure I do as well. That's it. I mean, end of the day, we're all human, aren't we? We all have different stresses in our lives. You know, no matter what job you do. Yes, I had a very stressful job. That was the career path I chose. Um, and you have to have very strong um, mental resilience to do that job. And I was specially selected to do that job. And yet I still had problems with stress and mental health. And so to speak up and say about it now, I hope will empower anybody else out there listening that's having similar problems, no matter what job you do, that it affects anyone. It doesn't matter who you are. Mm. Just go and talk to someone, get some help. And a good start is obviously the, the Mind Charity. And you can contact them totally confidentially and have a chat. And if you need support, they will put you in touch with local support agencies that will help you. So it's all out there. It's just being brave enough to stand up and say, I need a little bit of help. And that's as yeah. simple as that. It's, it's uh... It's almost a funny coincidence because when I started this podcast, my aim was to kind of get nutritionists on and mindset guys on and talk about high performance loads. And I think this is a uh, episode 15, episode 16, and there's been three or four people on like yourself who a lot of what we've been talking about is about like dealing with losing a loved one or talking about your problems more and all this side of it. So I think it's a much bigger thing than than a lot of people realise. Um, the one have you uh, have you ever seen the the pre the TV program on Channel Four, the SAS Who Dares Wins. 
Yes, like I watched the last series. It was very good. <laughs> so it was very good. I agree. We actually, I had Milo on the podcast a while ago, who was one of the one of the three winners. But right, have yeah. you have you do you know where uh, Foxy, the guy in the program, or yeah, one of the Jason, four? Yeah, Yeah, I know. Yeah. Have you read his book? I haven't. No. Maybe so, I'll take it with me to Everest. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be well worth the read. I was I I started reading it about two weeks ago before we got in touch with each other, uh, and I was expecting a book that was all about you know going to Afghanistan and exciting war stories, and that is in there. But the bulk of the book is actually about him suffering with post-traumatic stress disorder, and he talks about specific um, specific times where like one of his friends gets shot and half of his face is hanging off, and like it, mm. after after it all happens, he starts. To talk about how his, his head started going downhill and he said in in the book he says almost identical things to what you just said about how he felt that he couldn't speak to anybody and he felt that as soon as he spoke to somebody that they'd label him as weak or that his head was going or that he was he was going downhill and he, he doesn't talk to anyone about it it gets to the point where he has to talk to a counselor and he puts him they put him on antidepressants and he's out of the job for a while i'm only halfway through the book but as yeah. i was reading as i'm reading that book and then i started to read like your bio that you put on facebook it was it was interesting like he was saying the exact same things why do you think people in the police in the emergency services and obviously from his part of view is in the in the military as well why do you think they struggle to to talk so much why do you think that there is that stigma that you're you're weak if you talk about your emotions because from someone like from my part of view a complete civilian the idea of going to a car crash where a child has been killed, for example, like it's very obvious to someone outside that that would probably affect you emotionally. But yeah. when you're in that situation, it sounds like you don't feel you can talk about it. So what, why do you think that is? I, I don't know. I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that, you know, you're in the military. It's kind of like the buck stops there. It, you know, that's a real serious game where people are. It is life or death. Mm-hmm. Um, with the police, we're in an emergency services. When it all goes wrong and you've got no one else to turn to, we're the people you're calling to come and help you. Um, so we always have to put on a, you know, a front that we're here. We're going to take charge of whatever's going on, whatever carnage is in front of us. We will deal with. We will get through it. And I've been to some horrific things, and you just take one look and you're like everyone else is looking at you to do something it's over to you so you cannot crack you your people are looking at you to help them and to sort this mess out so you just put your professional head on you get on with it you do whatever is necessary rely on your training and and deal with it and it's only after the event that then you start to you know look back and then that's when you start getting upset you know if it is a child that's been involved or a fatality of some sort and you know you're, you're talking to the relative that that you've, you've had to tell that their loved one's been killed we feel that emotion as well and and we experience it you know as i said the drip 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 effect over years and years and years mm. it, it's not new to us it's we keep doing it and doing it and doing it so to then kind of stop and say okay I'm struggling. We're the ones that are trying to hold it all together. And when you personally can't hold it together, you kind of think, oh, am I weak? You know, I've been doing this for years and why am I struggling all of a sudden? You know, and then you're looking around at your colleagues. Oh, do I want to tell them how I'm feeling? Because they all seem to be dealing with it. And you don't want to look like the weak link, the one that's cracking. But, you know, as I found out on this journey, we're all feeling exactly the same way. And yeah. it's just getting people to talk about it and to basically destroy that stigmatism, get rid of it. You know, it, it's it's a fake thing that's been created in people's heads. You know, mm. we should be saying it's OK to talk about it and, you know, get the help you need because there's a lot of traumatic things out there. And I think anyone, no matter what you do, would be affected by it. So that's my yeah. mission. <laughs> no, I like it. I think it's a great mission. I think the overall... He's, he's just saying it's okay to talk in it really that's the overall like the overall uh the message that comes through to me anyways that just talk about things with people that's around it. you even if it's your friend or family member just have an open chat about how you're feeling and you might mm. find that's enough that's all it takes just to get it off your chest and say wow i've spoken about it i'm still alive i'm not being judged and and then see how you go and you know if, if you still need you know help you've taken the first step in speaking about it maybe the next step is to you know go and get some some help or in the first instance as when i've been speaking to mind is just go and see a gp 
have a chat yeah. with them because they can offer you you know a lot of other um agencies and support that you perhaps wouldn't have even thought about yeah do you um do you find that exercise helps as well i um we had a guy, a guy called lloyd on the on the podcast about three episodes ago and he, he he talked about concepts which i never heard before which was that the stresses of day-to-day life and things going on around you fill up your bucket and he says that he needs to empty the bucket and one way of doing it like emptying the bucket for him is going out exercising so going running or riding or doing something like that i thought that was quite a cool way of looking at it if like you the stresses build up and up and up and fill the bucket and then you can go and empty it and one of the ways he you, you, he coped with a few losses that he had in his life was was exercise do you have you found in the past that exercise helps yeah absolutely and i and i i can relate exactly to to what he's saying um so when i was probably at my lowest in the police um a friend of mine happened to shove a leaflet under my nose for a charity climb of mount kilimanjaro which is one of the seven mm. summits and um i thought do you know what let's do it and it was supporting the um air ambulance charity um a, a lot of accidents i've been to where i'm at a scene i see the the little yellow helicopter flying over the horizon i'm like thank god they're there yeah um, so i thought great let's let's climb the mountain let's raise some money for this um for this charity and yeah climbing that mountain pretty much changed my life that was a, a huge turning point for me I came back a totally different person from that mountain. Just the experience of challenging myself and meeting new people um, was absolutely amazing. And um, since then, when I've sort of spoken to people about the outdoors and um, climbing mountains, it was like hitting control alt delete on a computer. It was totally wiping my brain clear. And and since then, I've I've been climbing mountains ever since. And ultimately that's how I've ended up with this opportunity to climb Everest so yeah strong believer in getting outside whatever it is that makes you happy go and do it because it's it's very healthy and good for your mental strength so I've got a, a post going on Instagram tonight I can't remember the exact wording that I did let me get it up Ah, oh, my phone's going too slow. It's along the lines <laughs> of anyway that um, it's not selfish to look after your. Yeah, that's it. It's not selfish to look after your physical and your mental health. Because one thing that I hear a lot from people who follow the page and just people that I talk to in, in general about training and eating right is that they can often feel that it's selfish to get up and go for a ride at 5am on a Sunday because they want to let the partner sleep or it's selfish to train at 7pm because they should be helping with the kids or there's a, there's always, it's almost like a bit of guilt for looking after yourself and to exercise and the post tonight is all about that it's not selfish to look after yourself because if you need, if you, obviously we all want to look after everybody around us, like most people want to have an impact on, on the people who surround us and I think the only way that you can actually do that is if you look after yourself first, so you know taking that time to go for an hour ride or to do a 30 minute workout it's not selfish, it's actually selfless because you're in a much better mental state and you can look after everyone around you more, would, would you agree? Absolutely, 100% yeah, you know, that's exactly right you know, you're you're no good to anyone if you're not happy and 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 well. So you've got to do whatever you can do to make yourself well. Find your your happy, shall we call it? And mm. um, yeah, then you're a better person for everyone. So yeah, you've got to do what what makes you happy. And if you ignore that, it's just going to make you miserable. Yeah. You know, and, and I I you know a few years ago with all the stresses and everything within the police, I, I let my mountain biking slip massively i even sold my bike because i didn't use it anymore right and then um, i happened to be on duty one day driving through a town and i saw this amazing mountain bike shop with the nicest looking bikes in the window and i stopped <laughs> and i went in I, in my uniform handgun on my hip spoke to this guy and i was like i'm i want to get another bike so had a lovely chat with this guy and um met up with him a weekend later he let me a demo bike we went for a ride and I was straight back onto the mountain biking scene. And yeah, I've been doing it ever since again. I just, I wish I'd never let it go because I think that probably would have been something that could have helped me as well. So mm. yeah, never, never lose those things that make you happy. Go and do them. What was the bike? Um, so uh, the bike that I demoed was a Rocky Mountain. Um, yeah. uh, but I've ended up with a Scott Genius now okay yeah lovely bike can take yeah, everything that you throw at it can it it's great lots of travel gears so i can get up the hills and it, it does everything from around where i live and across the alps so very very happy with it 
Yeah, perfect. So what was the, before we start talking about Everest, I'd love to chat some more about that. You you mentioned that you had uh, a gory accident, should we call it, or a bit of a mishap, and that involved a bike, doesn't it? Would you would you mind talking more about that? Okay, so um, this Warning, is... Warning, apparently it's gory for everybody <laughs> listening, I've heard. Yeah, so, so after everything, I've made the decision to leave um, the firearms unit. I'd literally just started my lovely new job which I work for the Ministry of Defence Police and I'm on um, an armed marine unit now and I patrol the harbour, look after the warships and patrol the Solent and deal with um, boats of interest, sort of illegal immigration and things like that. Right. Well, but, um, I started this new job and it, it's a nice commute on my bike, so I wasn't driving anymore. Um, having just come back from a week in Leger downhill mountain biking where I hadn't had one single spill, not fallen off, no injuries, hadn't smashed the bike, got home in one whole lump. I get on my bike to cycle to work from my first shift back and literally about three minutes from my front door is a cycle path. And as I'm cycling along, it's about five o'clock in the morning, got my helmet on, head down and bike light on. I just suddenly felt my head get wrenched around to the right. I had no idea what had happened and I found myself propped up against this fence and I was thinking what has just happened and I felt all this warm run down the front of my chest and I was like oh that's weird and I put my hand down to see what was going on and my whole bottom lip was in my hand oh man and so basically what's happened is um in the night this um security mesh fencing had come down and so we've got this whole side of fencing that has swung over the cycle path so like um yeah mesh fencing and i couldn't see it and i've literally cycled along and it's just hit my cheek and part of it's gone through the lower right side of my mouth and then it whipped my head round to the right as the other part of the fence went into the top left part of my cheek and as I'm cycling along, it's pretty much just fish hooked oh, my whole man. mouth. And so my whole face literally fell off in my hand. Jesus, <laughs> I, I really wish you could see my face while you were telling that yeah, story. I don't it, think I've ever screwed my face up as much. My yeah, Lord. So it was it was horrendous. And um, so I managed to scoop, scoop my face up and pick my bike up, walked home, got through to the front door. The dog was there to greet me. I bled all over the dog. And I thought, I knew this was bad. And I thought, I've got to have a look. So I went into the downstairs toilet, looked in the mirror, and I gingerly peeled my hand away from my mouth. And then I could see all my teeth. Oh, my Lord. And I was like, okay, that was enough. Um, And I was thinking, right, what do I do now? Because I couldn't talk. I couldn't phone for an ambulance. But luckily, my wife is a paramedic, and she was coming to the end of a night shift. So Just what she wanted as she walked in the door. Well, it wasn't that. She was on standby, oh. and I FaceTimed her. <laughs> oh, my Lord. <laughs> and, um, oh, my God, what did she do? Is this bloke holding his face together. She's like, right, I'm on my way. I'm sending an ambulance. Um, long story short, was rushed to um, the local accident emergency. Had to have over 200 stitches in my face. So all the inside of my mouth, all the muscles had to be re-stitched back together and all plastic surgery on the outside to stitch it all back together. Um, so, yeah, it was pretty horrific. Oh, but <laughs> what, I took, what I took away from that was, had it been three inches higher, it would have been my eyes. And oh, had it yeah, been three inches lower, it would have been my throat. So, yeah. you know, a lucky you know outcome. A, uh, it's a complete uh, sidestep from that, but it just shows how crazy. You know, every now and again when the story pops up of people putting barbed wire over trails because they don't like mountain bikers going yeah. down. That's like a really graphic illustration of how dangerous that really is. Yeah, oh, it's horrendous. And yeah. I know that's a tiny, tiny minority of people, but yeah, yeah, it's happened on a few trails that I ride at where they've they've done that or thrown logs on the trail or tied string across. It's just outrageous. Yeah, you know, you're risking sure. people's lives. Yeah, literally, that's horrific. So, how does your face look now? You've you've got a beard on the Skype photo, so I can see. So yeah, that... so um, had a beard for a while, but the beard's definitely not going anywhere because I've got half a Chelsea smile now. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know what though if you ever need to scare anyone you'll be, you'll be fine won't you <laughs> oh no <laughs> right, yeah halloween well, i'll just shave the beard off <laughs> did it um did you, did you feel nervous when you were getting back onto um 
back into riding or were you okay how did, how did you find that yeah so um it, it turned out that as a nasty of a story it is and you know i can laugh about it now it, it was it caused quite a bit of um <laughs> mental trauma yeah I so imagine. i i um yeah i did fear i did um have the effects of ptsd specifically from that from that incident so i, I dwell on a lot about what happened and how close i came to a losing my eyes and b losing my life on essentially what was just 30 seconds from my front door yeah you know who could ever have said that it's just unbelievable so yeah so that was um two years ago now and yeah i'm back back to my normal self back on the bike i don't cycle that way ever again though but yeah (laughs) i'll go the long way around but yeah what was i'm sure most people listening to this have had crashes um you know we've probably all broken bones had stitches that kind of thing i actually uh, my best mate we were out riding at gisborne forest uh he'd only been around about six months and he decided to go head first over one of the drops on the downhill lines and he nearly broke his neck it was an air ambulance job and everything so <laughs> afterwards we were both like nervous riding if you know what i mean you have that feeling don't you and for me personally yeah. whenever like i've broken my wrist i've had stitches done all all the rest of it um nothing as horrific as that for me it's just a matter of really gradually building it back up and i think taking it easy so when you are nervous trying not to ignore the nerves and just going a bit slower so like if you're nervous about going fast downhill just going a bit slower downhill and then the next time you feel a bit more confidence and then a bit more confident and eventually you get back to the point where you're absolutely fine and you're riding is that the same again yeah absolutely yeah you know if any kind of big um stack like that it's, it's going to shake you up and it is just get you know with everything it's just gradual you know we can apply that to you know your mental health you know it's just get small steps gradually build back up until you're back to where you were and you're happy and confident and off you go again live to ride another day yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> but you said it was graphic you uh you definitely didn't disappoint <laughs> good <laughs> <laughs> so everest um there's so much we could talk about with everest i think first of all the thing that whenever there was an ant middleton program where he scaled everest and he was talking about all the statistics and he was talking about on the way up how there's dead bodies frozen there and yeah. you know four people die every year does does that like does that bother you does it scare you does it put you off no i mean a lot of people i mean i think what everest is famous for isn't it the bodies that are still up i think there's something like 200 or 300 bodies still still up there so you know people always ask me you know oh, how are you how are you going to feel about seeing bodies and, and i'm like well to be honest i've had 16 years in the police i've seen a lot of bodies in some quite horrendous states so to see one that's quite nicely pre- preserved and is, is going to I'm, I'm fine with yeah it's going to be very sad that that person you know didn't didn't make it but you know that being said it's not really gonna cause me too much of an issue so yeah i'm not not looking forward to seeing them but it's going to be sad to have to walk past these people but that's the realities of high altitude mountaineering if if something goes wrong there's a stark reminder of of how you know how it can possibly go so yeah so does it does it not put you off at all no uh no i'm well aware of the risks and you know as you said at the start of this you've got the the death zone which starts at 8000 meters and that's an area where the um, human body is not designed to survive it literally starts dying so yes i'm aware of these risks and if i get into difficulty above 8000 meters it's unlikely that you know i'm going to be safe because everyone is going to be weak and tired and it's sometimes impossible to get get these people off the mountain which is why a lot of people are still up there but I'm going with an amazing team, a strong team. I trust the team leader immensely that I'm not going to be put in that situation. So, mm. you know, if I worried about the what ifs and, you know, I could end up dead, then I wouldn't be doing it. So, yeah, I kind of you've just got to think positively and and, and go for it. So and that's what I'm going to do yeah yeah i agree you know what relating it to kind of to back to mountain biking there's a chance that on every single mountain bike ride you go on you could be dead because if you take one wrong move on a trail you're off a cliff like on a lot of the trails that you ride so i suppose when it's it's, it's a more extreme version of when people say to us aren't you scared of breaking bones or hurting yourself on a mountain bike like you just don't really think about it do you? so it sounds right. like to a more extreme level you've you've just got the same mindset 
exactly it is all the same mindset isn't it i mean yeah, yeah. i mean the the risks you know mountain biking are probably there's probably more people that have died mountain biking that have yeah. climbed these huge mountains but yeah, we just don't hear about it so you true. know and, and with everest you only hear about the disasters and the bodies and the avalanches you don't hear about all the other amazing successful summits that have been made over the years so yeah you know people like to dwell on the gloom and doom so i try yeah, to get yeah. out of my head <laughs> yeah that's so true i agree so what kind of training have you been doing then building up to it so well the mountain biking has always been a, a huge part of my fitness and I, I think i attribute a lot of my base level fitness to mountain biking when i first started all those years ago it's given me a really good sort of um, base of cardio and stamina so I've, I've kept up with that when i found out that i was um, on the everest team which was over a year ago now i just kept on cycling really pushed hard to get my stamina up and um your, your listeners aren't going to like this but i bought myself a road bike off of ebay <laughs> you know <laughs> what every, every every guest that comes on always like says like road bike in like a hushed voice but you miss <laughs> yeah. it but i think it's something like 20 or 30 percent of my followers my road bike anyway so <laughs> yeah so, so i thought well to get to work and back i had my an, an old uh, mountain bike and it just it was just a dog to ride on the on the road yeah before. let's get on ebay let's buy a cheapy old road bike so i've got this thing and it, and it flies and i make sure that i do a 15 mile route around from where i live it goes all around the the harbour and over it's called portsdown hill which is a huge hill so every day i've got a, a, a decent um climb which i do on my, on my road bike got the strava on so i always like to try and beat my time getting up this hill so you know the mindset is when i'm riding my bike hammering up this hill i just think everest 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 it's hurting my legs feel dead shut up legs just keep going keep going keep going so and i've literally just built my fitness you know from that and you know i've, I've been following you for a long while and a lot of your posts about oh, you nice know, having that mental attitude so a lot of it is in my head and i just keep focusing on that so yeah lots of mountain biking road biking lots of running and doing a lot of um, strength stuff in the gym all kind of around legs so yeah. So how often do you, uh, oh, that was going to be my next question, how often do you weight train and go to the gym? Um, well, I'm beginning to wind the training down now. So a big part of my Everest um, fitness was the cardio side, so the running, the cycling. Um, I've now been doing a lot of the weight stuff. So, you know, now with two weeks to go, I have to stop. So I finished my last gym session last night and that's that was three in a row I'd done of, of legs. Yeah. So I've kind of been hit, <laughs> yeah. walking nice today. <laughs> yeah. So it's, um, yeah, it, it, I feel the benefits of it massively, especially when I'm back on the bike with the, the weight training. Yeah. Um, yeah. Huge, huge benefits a bit, you know, it doesn't have to be like Herculean, but just doing some good, good solid leg presses in the gym have really helped, helped me on the bike. I'm quite surprised. Uh, it's just a, a byproduct that I've noticed. So when I get, get on the bike, but yeah, uh, in terms of other training I've been doing, um, in November, I went um, to Nepal and did a two-week trek um, along the Manaslu circuit, which takes you up to about um, over 5,000 metres elevation. So that was two weeks of trekking with a really heavy backpack. So that was really good altitude, really good stamina. And then in January, I was out in the Pyrenees doing some more training winter skills uh, on a mountain called Aneto. Um, again, just practicing winter skills um, techniques using crampons, ice axes to self-arrest, crevasse rescue. So it's just all of these things that I've been doing to try and turn myself into the finished article that's worthy of <laughs> standing in front of Everest <laughs> in two weeks' time. So I just hope it's all worth it. <laughs> when will it be? When will it be the day that you actually summit? So you go in two weeks, don't you? And then I read is the trip eight weeks, is that right? Yeah, so the whole trip, so from beginning to end, from the moment I fly out to the moment I land back at Heathrow on the second of June, yeah, eight weeks. Got um, so arrive um Kathmandu on the morning of the eighth of April um where i'll get together with the team some of which I've, I've not met before and i know of them but not met so there'll be a bit of a bonding time in Kathmandu, probably a few beers drunk um and then uh, probably about four or five days there just to chill check all our kit and then we've got uh probably about a five or six day four by four drive across nepal um through to tibet over the chinese border and then round the other side of Everest, um, where we'll be attempting to summit Everest from the north side. So it's the 
uh, what is known as the uh, the harder route than the the south side. So yeah, first what, time what? to. <laughs> what, why 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 did you go for the hard route? Um, it wasn't my idea. It was okay. the the guy, the guy that I'm climbing with. His name's Rolf Ustra. He's um quite a legendary uh, mountaineer who uh, is one of the co-founders of 360 Expeditions. So it's his company that I've done a lot of climbing with over the years. And it's this chap that's given me this opportunity to climb Everest. Um, he went out in 2015 to try and climb Everest from the south side, but they had that horrendous earthquake in yeah. Nepal. Um, he was at camp one above base camp and the avalanche swept down from below him, took out base camp and it killed the whole of his Sherpa team. Um, he was stuck up at camp one for about a week before he could get um, helicoptered off. So wow. obviously the avalanche had taken away all the fixed lines. Um, so he went back the following year and managed to summit in 2016, achieved a summit from the south side, and now he wants to do another expedition, this time from the north side. Right, it's okay. this expedition that he's invited me on. And also less queues as well. It's not as busy on the north side. Right, okay. Sounds amazing. It's such a fantastic opportunity and so few people will get the chance to do it. I think it, it, this ties in well, actually. Before I ask you my last question, so for everybody who wants to follow along with your journey, I know you said you've got internet while you're out there. Where where do you want to send them where we can all keep up to date with the with the process and see if you make it, which I'm sure you will. Yeah, so um, I started my little Facebook page, which is uh, Mind Everest Expedition. So if you put that into the search bar, it should flag up with... Uh, my little page um if you give that a follow um i've been putting updates and various bits and pieces from all of my training over the last year so all my little videos are on there um i've been sponsored by a, a company that have given me a smart sat phone so that's linked up to my facebook so whilst i'm out there i'll be able to put loads of little updates let you know how i'm getting on so yeah all the updates will be going on that page alternatively if you search for 360 expeditions um, Rolf's wife um, will be running that web page and we'll be getting direct updates from Rolf as well via sat phone okay. so if you're not getting any updates from me there'll be stuff there as well so great now that's brilliant that's really good and then where I'll, I will link it up in the description where can people donate as well to the charity is there an obvious link on your Facebook page yeah so yeah, again um, it's mind Everest expedition if you take a look right. at uh, just giving Go on to Just Giving website, okay. type in Mind Everest Expedition, and my page is there with a big blog about it, the reasons why I'm doing it, which mm. if you've listened to this up until now, you should know exactly why I'm doing it. So it's yeah, all there. Yeah. So, you know, any, any donation will go to Mind. Um, it will help, you know, the greater mental health issues out there that anyone can experience, but Mind also have the Blue Light Programme, which supports all of our emergency services as well, which I'm very passionate about supporting. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. Well, we'll I'll link those up in the description as well. So everybody listening to this, just just go to the podcast app, whichever you're on, and the links will be there for you. So if you've listened to the last 50 minutes of uh, of this conversation, I think you'll you'll agree it's well worth donating. So I've already donated earlier today. It's well worth just taking five minutes and giving even a couple of quid, like anything, it all adds up. And I think it's nearly up to six grand. And I'm right in saying that you're self-funding your trip to Everest, aren't you? So everything, so the whole like 6000 pound which is there at the moment that all goes to mind charity is that right absolutely yeah yeah so, any any donations go straight there i've, I've self-funded this trip but that huge huge cost but it's a once in a lifetime opportunity so if i let sure. money put me off i wouldn't do it so then you live once <laughs> <laughs> well you're definitely going to have to come on another episode of the podcast when you get back so i'm sure everyone listening to this and myself included will want to know how it goes what it's like all the stories that you can bring back so if you're up for that i'll definitely have to get you on skype again <laughs> absolutely up for it even if i don't get up there i'll still tell you how horrendous it was yeah well, well i'm pretty sure that no one listening to this has not tried so i could be wrong if you if you've tried it then drop me an email <laughs> so the final question i like the guest to just end with really any message at all that you want to give to the audience about everything so i always put you on the spot but what's what's the one message the one point that you would like to end the podcast with wow crikey i think it's got to be that no matter how you're feeling, however low you get, you've got to look after yourself. No one else is going to look after you. You've got to speak up, fight for yourself, get yourself to your happy place and do whatever makes you happy.
Even if that's climbing Everest. <laughs> Even if it's climbing Everest. But you've got to do whatever makes you happy. <laughs> I wouldn't no. recommend it to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Well, thanks so much for your time. I'm sure everyone will agree it's been great talking to you. And uh, we'll we'll speak again in 10, 12 weeks, something like that, for the, uh, the updated version. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, buddy. Thanks very much, Matt. Thanks for having me on. Cheers, bud. Bye. Hello, welcome back. I hope you really, really enjoyed that episode with episode episode with Jamie. He's a fascinating guy, like I've talked about, and um, like I mentioned, right now he's actually trying to scale Everest, like he's out there. So if you go to the links that I'll post in the description, you'll be able to follow along with his journey. I've been following him on Facebook, so just click on whichever podcast you're at whichever podcast app you're on go to the description click on the link and then you'll be able to follow along you'll see all his amazing photos his videos so i do recommend that you go and follow excuse me i got hiccups i do recommend that you go follow that and what i would also do as well if you can spare a quid or two is just go donate to him i would really really appreciate that and i know he would so other than that thanks so much for checking in to another episode of the mtb fitness podcast i promise like i say there'll be another episode next week it's already recorded it's a really good one actually so look out for that and other than that i'll see you next weekend thank you so much see you soon